I'm Ms. Tyler, and welcome to another episode of Context for Kids, where I teach you guys stuff most adults don't even know. If this is your first time hearing, or if you've missed anything, you can find all the episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com, which has them downloadable, or at contextforkids.com, where I have transcripts for readers or on my Context for Kids YouTube channel, and I am just about on every podcast platform there is right now, so... Now, parents, all scripture this week comes from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, and we will be in Genesis 11 again. And this episode is, what's the big deal about Babel? So let's get to it. Now, the whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, Come, let's make oven-fired bricks. They used bricks for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a, and a tower with its top in the sky. Let's make a name for ourselves, otherwise we'll be scattered throughout the earth. Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. The Lord said, if they've begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So every week we just keep adding to this story, right? We've studied verses one through four, and now we're going to tackle five and six. Are you beginning to see how much there is to this story when we know about the context? I hope you're also understanding how much we don't know even when we think we know things that aren't really there at all. Remember, there's nothing wrong with all the what-if stories out there as long as people know that they're just guesses and some guesses are better than others and that they aren't used to hurt people. And we already talked about how some people took Nimrod and also Ham and made up stories about them to hurt other people. So we have to be careful about what we think we know because people do some rotten things with the Bible stories in order to do what they want or to get people to hate each other. But this week we're going to start out with a joke that's right there in the Bible because the people who gathered in the Valley of Shinar decided to build a tower that was so big that its top would reach the sky. It was going to be so big that they'd be famous and probably rich too. And do you remember the name of the ziggurat tower that Nebuchadnezzar built thousands of years later? It was called Antinamanki, the foundation of heaven and earth, because it was seven levels tall and reached up higher than any other ziggurat, all the way up to where they believed the sky stopped and the heavens began. It was really huge. But how about the tower here in Shinar? How big do you think that was? Huge? Like, a New York City skyscraper, or maybe the Dubai Tower? Well, not so much. Um, here's where the joke comes in. They wanted to build a huge tower, but it's so teeny tiny that God actually had to come down to look at the city and tower because it was too puny for him to get a good look at it from heaven. Of course, it isn't actually saying that, you know, God actually has to come down to earth to look at things, but this is called irony. Irony is when you say something in such a way that it means the opposite. Like, if you do something nice for someone and they don't say thank you, so you say to them, gee, don't get so excited about thanking me. It can also mean that something happens that shouldn't happen, like a fire department burning down or the police station getting robbed, or maybe your English teacher makes a ton of spelling mistakes and doesn't even notice. 
they are things that when you think about them, they're kind of funny in a weird way. And while we're on the subject, there is a song by Alanis Morissette called Ironic, but nothing she says in the song is actually ironic. Like, she says, it's like a traffic jam when you're already late, you know, for work or whatever. And that isn't ironic at all. That's just a total bummer, a drag. Really unfortunate or unlucky, but it isn't ironic. It would be ironic if she got up, had an easy time getting ready, every traffic light was green, no one was in front of her at the coffee shop, and she got to work only to find that they were closed for the holiday, and she has to go back home, and it's ironic that on the one day she had no trouble getting to work, there was no work. So if you ever hear that song, and she's saying all these things are ironic, listen closely, and when she sings, isn't it ironic, you can say no. Not really, but it is ironic that she wrote a song about irony that has nothing ironic in it. And maybe that was her diabolical plan all along. But I digress. We weren't here to talk about that. So the irony of the story is that they built a big tower that was so small that God couldn't even see it from heaven. And you might be tempted to say that it means that the Bible's lying about God or saying that he needs to be right next to something in order to see it. But then we would be missing the point because it's supposed to be funny and we're supposed to laugh at the clever joke. And there are a lot of things like this in the Bible if we look carefully. They aren't necessarily meant to teach us something um, about God, but in this case, something about the tower that wasn't really so amazing in God's eyes as, you know, they thought it would be. Compared to him and the universe he created... Nothing we do is really very impressive. I mean, can you make a ladybug or even a blade of grass? No. The only things we can make are made from things that already exist. I mean, we can bake cake, but we can't make wheat out of nothing or get milk without a mama animal or get eggs without a chicken. So what's more impressive, the cake that you made or the chicken that God made out of nothing? Well, definitely the chicken. What were we talking about? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. The Tower of Babel. And the Bible doesn't even call it that, but that's okay too. So then the Lord, this is what it says. Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. The Lord said, if they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So wait a minute. We had this joke about how small the tower was, but somehow God's taking what they're doing really seriously. And in the next verse, he's going to come up with a plan to stop them. What on earth is the big deal about this puny tower? And why does it matter that they can all speak the same language? Doesn't being able to accomplish anything they want seem like a good thing? Well, the strange thing is that nowhere in the story does God talk about why this is a bad thing or how it would be a problem. He could have said, oh no, they're building this tower so they can worship other gods, or do they honestly think they can get me to show up just because they build a ziggurat so they can serve me when I don't need anything from them? How about, this is really bad because they're building a military tower and that means they're going to be violent and start killing each other. No, none of that. All we see is, is God is concerned about what the consequences will be if everyone is able to work together to do what they want. I mean, 
Before the flood, maybe they all had the same language too. Maybe they could also accomplish whatever they wanted to. And maybe that was the problem, and maybe the things they accomplished led to a lot of evil stuff. We just don't know. But we could talk about some of the what-ifs, and maybe by doing that, we can learn more about God and his plans for us. Now, if they could accomplish anything they wanted to, then they would just do everything their own way. And back in Genesis 9, God said that all of our thoughts are evil from the time we're born. And there's another way to read what the verse says. We can read it that nothing they would ever want to do in the future would be impossible for them or something worse. Maybe it was saying that what they're planning to do right then wouldn't be impossible. What did they have in mind? We don't know. But whatever the reason was, it was serious enough that God wanted to stop them. Was it to protect them? Was it like... When adults separate kids who are up to no good when they're together? Was it maybe because they would be able to do too much too fast? You know, before they really could deal with the consequences? Let's talk about that one. Because isn't that what Adam and Eve did in the garden? They wanted to be like God, knowing good and evil. But they wanted it right now and they weren't willing to ask God for it or to wait. God created humans in his image, so Adam and Eve were both his image bearers, there to show the world what God is like and how he would rule if he was there. And so we know that he wanted them to be like him, but that takes a lot of time. More than a lifetime, really, although maybe they could have done it if they'd been in the garden for 900 years instead of dying at that age out in the wilderness where they had to work super hard at just staying alive, you know, instead of learning to become like God. You know, technology is a really good thing, but what if all of a sudden you have too much technology and you aren't ready or mature enough or experienced enough to use it? What would happen if you gave a knife to a little baby? Well, nothing good would happen, of course. The baby would either cut themselves or whoever tried to take the knife away, you know, or, or a pet or whatever. If you got lucky, the baby would drop the knife before anything happened. And so we don't give sharp things to babies, but teenagers can have them, right? Cars are good, but someone with a license shouldn't drive one. Things that we aren't ready for can get us into big trouble, and God knows that. So he'll often put roadblocks in front of us so that we have to take the long way around before we can get to do something we want. And I know that can be very frustrating. I think of Adam and Eve outside the garden, and now they have all this knowledge and awareness, but they aren't able to really deal with it. And, and that can be a big problem. We need to have knowledge. We need information, you know. We need to know stuff. But when we know it too soon or in the wrong order, it can really make us confused and get us into trouble. I think that Adam and Eve were not only ashamed, but really confused and in the garden, you know, because life was so easy, it might have gotten them into a whole lot of trouble and maybe they wouldn't be satisfied with keeping and working the garden of God. When God moved them out of the garden where life was easy and into the outside world where 
everything was really hard and a wilderness and where they had to work very hard all day, every day, just to survive. They didn't have the time to get into nearly as much trouble with everything they knew. They had to make or find a place to live. They had to find and grow food. Getting into trouble? Well, that's mostly something that happens to people who have way too much time on their hands. And when they had kids, boy, howdy, they had even less time to, for thinking these deep thoughts about the knowledge of good and evil. They probably worked hard all day and then fell right to sleep at night because they were so tired. And what about the Tower of Babel? Well, what might have happened if everyone was gathered all in one place and able to speak the same language forever? When you have all, you know, the people all in one place and someone invents something, someone else is going to see it and think of a better way or to make it or, or will think up some improvements and before too long, people can do some really amazing things. That's why companies put all their scientists and researchers together in one place so they can work together. And when one person accomplishes something, someone else can make a suggestion to make it even better. Or if one engineer is struggling to make something work, another one might be able to figure out what to do to fix it. Now, right now we have companies in so many different countries and they don't want other companies or countries to know how to make what they can make or to do what they do. And so they're very secretive about it. But, but back then, there was no way to keep a secret from anyone, and especially not if you were all gathered into one place and you all spoke the same language. Whatever they decided to do, they could eventually figure out how to do. And God had to do something drastic before that happened. Have you ever really wanted to do something, but it seemed like everything and everyone was getting in your way? Have you ever seen a grown-up really angry about being stuck in a traffic jam when they want to get somewhere? I bet David was really irritated about having to hide in caves because King Saul was trying to kill him. And Joseph had those dreams, but then he got sold into slavery, and then on top of that, he was put in jail. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, and Elizabeth all wanted children, but all they got for a long time was disappointment. The Bible is full of stories of people who were promised this or that, but had to wait so long that they lost hope. But, you know, delays and waiting can be a really wonderful thing. An adult might be angry about traffic, but maybe because they were stuck, they didn't get into a car accident. Or maybe they weren't at the intersection when the child chased after their ball because they were held up in traffic instead. David, he had a lot of growing up to do, and while he was on the run from King Saul, he was learning how to be a leader by first leading a small group of men and then larger groups, and David was also learning how to talk to the kings of other kingdoms. Joseph was kind of a spoiled brat who would tattle on his brothers, but not all of his brothers, only the brothers who he would have seen himself as better than. So Joseph felt he could pick on them. But when they turned around and sold him to the Midianites and Joseph was taken from his family to Egypt, he had to work very hard. But just when everything seemed to be going as good as possible for a slave, he was accused of something he didn't do and got stuck in jail for a very long time. 
And when someone could have got him out of jail, they forgot about him and left him in there to rot. But by the time he got out, he was a grown-up and, you know, he would learn to be humble instead of prideful. And he'd become the kind of man that God could use to save people from starving, including his own family. And, of course, we know about Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, and Elizabeth. None of them could have babies. Sarah had to wait until she was 90 years old. Rebecca couldn't have a baby for 40 years after she was married. Rachel had to watch her sister have a whole ton of babies before she could have even one. Hannah was so desperate for a baby that she told God that he could have her firstborn for temple work if only she could have a baby and not be sad anymore. Elizabeth was extremely old as well, but the thing is that most of the women in the Bible who have babies, you don't even know their names. We don't know who David's mother was, or Noah's mother, or hardly any of the mothers at all, but we know the names of the children of Sarah, Rebecca, Hannah, Rachel, and Elizabeth. Can you name them? Let's see. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Samuel the prophet, and John the Baptist. Wow. Maybe the other women having all the kids didn't have to wait for them, but they sure didn't have babies who were that important to the Bible story. Well, some did. <laughs> did they know that while they were waiting? No way. Sarah was so desperate for a child that she gave her own servant to her husband so that they could have a baby to give to Sarah. That went very bad, by the way. Rachel told her husband Jacob that she would die if she couldn't have a baby when her sister had so many. Hannah was ashamed by Peninnah, who had a ton of kids. And there is no way that they could understand just how important it was for them to have the right kid at the exact right time, but God knew. And even though they were sad for so long when God gave them children and those children turned out to be important people in God's story, they knew it was worth it. And maybe it has happened to you too and you were angry and frustrated and then all of a sudden you got what you wanted and you realized it was a really good thing that you didn't get it right away like you wanted to. And adults often aren't any more patient than kids. On social media and actually throughout my life, I have seen Christians who were shouting about how the devil is holding them back because they can't get something done that they want to do. But my experience is that it's very often God holding me back from doing something even though I want to do it and I think it's a good thing to do because even though it isn't sinful or a wrong or a bad idea, it just isn't what he wants me to do right now or yet or ever. I don't even know how many times that has happened. But, you know, later on, I'm really glad that God did stop me in my tracks because, oh my goodness, it would have been a total disaster. But maybe a few years later, when I know more and maybe some things I thought I knew were actually wrong and I'm more patient and wiser than I was, it goes really well because God made it so that I jumped out into the crosswalk where there was no traffic instead of jumping out in front of a bus like I would have if I had done what I wanted when I wanted. And what if, when I couldn't do what I wanted, I had blamed the devil for getting in my way? Well, I'd be calling God the devil, and that is never a good idea.
Now, one time, the scribes who had come down from Jerusalem saw Jesus' miracles, and they said he got his power from the devil. Uh-oh. Jesus got his power from God, not the devil. So these scribes were totally insulting God. They thought they were just insulting Jesus, but they were wrong, and so we all have to be very careful about what we say the devil is doing. If we assume that every time something doesn't go our way, it's the devil, then we're making the devil more important than God, more powerful than him, too. And more than that, we're assuming that we're just way more important to the devil than we actually are. Look, there's just one of him, and he's not as powerful as God. No way. And he can only be in one place at one time. And if he's going to focus on one person, I can guarantee you it's not going to be you or me, but I will tell you that God is very focused on you. Just like he was focused on those people who wanted to build the tower for whatever reason, they thought it was so important. And because God was focused on them, next week we will see that he stopped them. He stopped them from making a terrible mistake or from getting on the wrong track or getting in over their heads. God's going to do something that's going to lead him to choose one man and one woman for a very important job. Making a Messiah who would someday save the world and will someday come back as the king over all the world. So why does God stand in the way of the things that we want to do? Sometimes it's because he loves us and he's protecting us from what will happen to us if we do what we want. Sometimes it's because he wants to teach us to be patient and trust him. Sometimes it's because he wants to protect other people from what we might do if we get our way. Something, sometimes there's just something much better around the corner, something that we can't see. And he wants something better for us instead of whatever it is, you know, that we were going to settle for. Sometimes we aren't ready for what we want to do. Sometimes we think God wants us to do one thing when he really wants us to do another. Or maybe he wants us to do that thing, but not the way we want to do it. And there are probably millions of reasons why God might stop us or stand in our way. <gasps> oh yeah, I forgot to tell you about Balaam. He was a very odd guy. Now, we won't get to Balaam until we hit the book of Numbers, and by that time, I will probably be teaching your children. Now, Balaam really wanted to do something wrong because some people were willing to pay him good money to do it. They wanted him to curse the children of Israel out in the wilderness. And he really wanted to go, but God said no, so he didn't go. I know, it, it's really weird that a guy who wasn't an Israelite could talk to God back then, but, you know, whatever. Now, they asked him several times, and finally God relented and said, Okay, you can go with them, but only if they come for you. And even then, you have to say exactly what I tell you to say. And Balaam's like saying to himself, Dude, they are obviously going to come again, so I will just ride out and meet them. Show me the money. And so he gets on his donkey and he's riding out to them and all of a sudden his donkey just flat out stops. And no matter how much he whips his poor donkey, she won't budge and she ends up crushing his foot against a wall. And he beat her even more and she started talking to him, which for some reason didn't faze him at all. I mean me, I'd run away screeching, demonic donkey! But anyway... 
She starts asking him why he's beating her, and he actually answers. I mean, I know, right? She says, why are you hitting me? And he says, you made me look like a fool. Dude, talking to a donkey made you look like a fool, okay? Uh, but then he sees why she's so scared, and then there's a big honking angel blocking the way, because, you know, he went without waiting for those people to come get him. And if they'd run into the angel sword, it would be, you know, bye-bye Balaam. God even prevents disobedient people from messing everything up sometimes. He is really awesome. And if he didn't love us, well, it wouldn't be so awesome that he was awesome, but he does. And he cares for us. And he always keeps his promises. I love you. I'm praying for you. And I hope you have a wonderful time this week talking about God with the people who love you.